If you're a boomer, wondering what to do with all this unstructured time on your hands? Well, join host Chuck Inman and Ron Hostry as they share with boomers how to be your best on your next journey by finding your passion, choosing your adventure, and igniting your activity. And now, stay tuned for The Adventures of Unstructured Time. Good morning, Ron Hostry here on 21.6 The Net with The Adventures of Unstructured Time. The purpose of the show is that over 10,000 baby boomers a day are turning 65 and many of those are getting ready to retire. Over the next 10 years, there will be almost 73 million people facing a major change in their life and unfortunately, most of them have not prepared for the next 20 years. Today in the studio, my co-host, Chuck Inman. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, Ron. Good to be here. Ron, you know, we all have adventures left within us, and each week we review a different aspect of how to be our best on our next journey. You know, we cover aspects such as, you know, how do you find your passion, finding a sense of purpose? You know, how do you choose your adventure? How do you ignite your activity? How do you deal with default behaviors that keep you from achieving those goals that are important to you? And then creating new habits. And so today's show, we're going to focus on choosing your next adventure. That's amazing. You know, there are many different kinds of adventures. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about the large adventures, the small adventures, the planned and unplanned adventures. But tell us, what is it about an adventure that we love so much? Well, I think, you know, as as Helen Keller stated so eloquently, she says, life is either a daring adventure or nothing at all. And I, and I think the thing about adventures, it kind of wakes us up a little bit. And, and sometimes when we look at where we're heading into retirement, whether we've, we may have retired or getting ready to retire, you know, some of the non-financial issues that you'll take a look at are, you know, what adventures do you want to embark on? You know, what adventures have meaning for you? Or what adventures has a sense of purpose and will have an impact on you and others? You know, and like you were saying, not all adventures have to be gigantic adventures. Well, that's interesting. You mentioned a key word there, financial. All of the planning that goes into planning for a retirement or a big change in a person's life seems to revolve around two things. One is the financial plan. Will I have enough money to take me to whatever I believe my end date's going to be? Or number two, if I don't make it, where will all my money go to make all my kids rich? (laughs) But the biggest component about that is that when you ask most people when they're going to retire at age 60, 65, or whenever they're going to make the change, because I, I don't believe in the word retirement. I believe in refocusing. But no one's planned the period between that age 60 or 65 to the period of about 80, 85, or 90 that people anticipate living. That is 20 years of your life that isn't even being addressed until the point in time that they've been let go or they leave one situation and then they sit sit at home wondering, okay, what do I do now? Right, and, and yet it could be viewed as what an opportunity to go achieve some of the things that you've been wanting to do your entire life. And so, and it's like we said, you know, they don't always all have to be big, gigantic adventures. They can be a series of small adventures that we have that will provide a great journey for you. But it's just, and, and each week as we talk about 
this whole thing about you know being the best on your next journey we keep laying down a foundation to help you you know build and grow on and hopefully make those adventures in your journey the, the best possible now in today's show you're going to be guiding the listeners through a series of questions tell us what what questions are we going to embark on well exactly it's like you know when we talk about you know why does this adventure have meaning you know we've talked about in the past show you know about passion and you know what what is your passion what is that sense of purpose and once you start to understand that it gives you like like a map and a, and a, a road map for you on, on where you want to go and why is that important and 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 once you start to get that point then decision making gets to be a lot easier because of that and we start to move forward you know it's it, it's funny when you take a look at adventures i, I remember one of my first big adventures uh, that actually involved crossing the Atlantic Ocean. So it was pretty big for me. Mm -hmm. I'd been to Toronto once, but that was back in the day when you didn't even need a passport to get into Canada, just a driver's <laughs> license. My, so, my first uh, incident of an international travel living in Southern California was Tijuana and Vancouver. Exactly. <laughs> and I was a big international traveler. Exactly. And so and so Toronto was, was interesting. It's you know, but everybody spoke English and, and it was a A and and got through that. But I had my first trip to uh, Heidelberg, Germany, which is where we had our European headquarters. And I remember in flying into Chicago from Phoenix and, and thinking, how will I know how to get through the airport? How and when I'm walking through the airport in Chicago, I'm looking and there's, there's signs in different languages telling people where to go, where the bathrooms are, where ticketing is, where baggage claim. I'm going, you know what? If people who don't speak English can come to America and figure their way around airports, I've got a feeling I can go to Germany and find my way around airports. So I hopped on a plane by myself and flew across the ocean uh, to, to Frankfurt. And I get off the plane and I'm supposed to meet a guy holding a sign that says, you know, Heidelberg on it. And keep in mind, Ron, this is back in the days where we didn't have email. We had, we had um, teletypes, <laughs> and faxes, and, <laughs> and so forth. And we didn't have GPS. And, we didn't have, and so I was supposed to meet a guy in baggage claim that's holding a sign that said Heidelberg. And he ran a little van shuttle that ran from, from Frankfurt to Heidelberg. And I'm going, what happens if I miss this guy? What do I do now? You know, all these things running through your head, and you didn't know how to plan for that. But it was part of an adventure. My journey was to travel around the world. That was something I'd written down, you know, years before and said I wanted to travel around the world. That was going to be one of my journeys. And, and this was one of my first epic adventures flying across the Atlantic. And so finally found the van and, you know, took off to Heidelberg. And it was just, we were on the Audubon and it was amazing how fast they were driving. And, <laughs> and you're going, goodness gracious, these guys go fast. And, and we were in a Volkswagen van, of all things, you know. And, um, but, but once we got into Heidelberg, it was, it was really neat. And the next morning I remembered it was snowing and opening up the windows. I had classical music on, it was snowing overlooking the Necker river. And it was as picturesque as you could be. I mean, two big windows that just opened out and listening to classical music, watching the snow with the river going by, I'm going, this is an adventure. And it was fun. And then from there, I'd kind of eased my, you know, we talked about that amygdala soothing that amygdala i think the classical music the soft snowfall and everything kind of put me at ease and and then we started exploring my boss came in the next day and and we went and did some things we went to ladenburg a little uh, village just outside of heidelberg that had a celtic and a roman heritage to it 
And it was fascinating because you'd go into these old, old buildings where they had restaurants. And these were thousand, you know, a couple of thousand year old buildings. You had to duck. I mean, the, the doorways were like five foot, five and a half feet. And you go in there for dinner and, and you think, my goodness, in the United States, they build a road that needs repairs in 20 years. Or they have a stadium that, you know, they tear down after 25 years to build a new <laughs> one. And this stuff is thousands of years old. And one night we climbed a watchtower that went up and allowed us to look over the Necker Valley on a dark night and you could see all the stars and you think, what if you were a watch person up in this tower? You're looking for campfires for the enemy. And it just the, the history that was rushing through you was, I'm going, this watchtower is older than the United States of America. And it just gave it just a whole perspective as far as adventures and having fun. And, and then the, uh, the, the really, the interesting part of Heidelberg was the Heidelberg Castle. And it took over 300 years to build this castle. Three kings spent uh, 100 years apiece. I think they had the same contractors that did our house. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> but you could stand on the bridge that goes across the Necker River and look at the Heidelberg Castle. And you could see where each impact of, of the castle was from from people uh, from each one of the builders. Because it all had a different perspective to it. Well, what was interesting, uh, there's rumor or folklore was that there was a town crier whose name was Perkio. He was a, a small person, about four foot tall, but he would come around on the hour at like 10 o'clock and 11 o'clock, you know, all is clear. And, and so, but he was always rewarded for being the town crier with the bottle of wine. And then one night he didn't get his bottle of wine and, and he died. And they said it was because he didn't get his bottle of wine. But when we toured, each time we'd go to Heidelberg, I'd try and get and tour a different part of the castle. And what was fascinating about the, the, you know, the adventures of, of looking at people and how they behave and everything else, they had the largest wine cask in the world held together without nails, with wooden pegs. And at the very bottom, and you had to actually climb upstairs, it was over a story and a half tall, a huge, huge wine cask. And at the very bottom, there's a little sign that said, Perkio's Revenge, and it had a rope. And my boss and I, was there, we pulled on the rope and a raccoon tail fell out. You know, it kind of gave us a start, you know, and, and then you, you put it back. Well, we had a group of Japanese tourists behind us. And these Japanese tourists came down, you know, in, in pairs and twos and threes, and they'd pull this rope and it would scare the heck out of them. But then they'd put it up and they'd stand over with their cameras and take pictures <laughs> of the. And, and, and what's fascinating about that, I thought, was, you know, you get scared, but then you want to see other people get scared. And by the, the end of it, there was a whole group of, of Japanese standing there waiting for the stragglers to come down and pull the rope. Everybody taking pictures, and it was just hilarious. But but the insights that you got on how humans behave was just fat. So that was a fun, fun big adventure for me, which was kind of fun. You know, you talked about the fears about going to Europe and everything. John and I went over to Austria. We were in the Bavarian part of Germany through Austria. I found out I could understand English there better than when I went to Louisiana. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't quite have that Cajun accent to it, right? So big adventures generally have bigger fears associated with them. Correct. Because the, the unknown is more unknown. Right. And, and what was interesting, my next trip, and like I said, I, for about two years, I'd go over about every six to eight weeks. Uh, with some of the work that we were doing there. So I'd be going to Heidelberg. Then I started to understand when, 
when I would get into Frankfurt, I'd, you know, stop and get a bottle of water and get some snacks for the trip, you know, taking the, the shuttle bus from Heidelberg to Frankfurt. I knew how to prepare for it. And all of a sudden, I could start to visualize what was going on. And it just kind of took the fear of the unknown out. And it actually got to be fun adventures. Well, we'll get into that visualization a little later in the show. Exactly. Uh, big adventures are also a lot of fun if you have an appropriate amount of time to plan those adventures. Right. Uh, Joan and I, for our 30th wedding anniversary, went to Alaska to take the trip her dad never took. And it was so much fun to be up there and see all the new sights, all the new sounds, the animals, the experience of the, the onshore activities, bear watching. Those are big adventures. Another big adventure was going to the Philippines. I just got back from last May from spending uh, 11 days in the Philippines, and I did not know what to expect. Fortunately, I was going with some people that had been there before, but even if you go with people that have been here before, you don't know what it's like. And what an exciting event because you can look at the adventure one or two ways. You can look at it, oh my God, how am I going to get through this? Or, oh my God, I'm going to get through this. Right. And the big adventures are, are part of what we have unstructured time available for to be able to go pursue those. But they don't always have to be that way. Uh, one of the one of the adventures, though, that I want to talk about, and big adventures versus small adventures, and we'll get into the small adventure later, but it had, might not have anything to do with the length of the trip or the amount of time that you plan on it. Uh, we had planned a three-day sailing adventure to Catalina Island with four guys, went down to Newport Beach, California, to pick up the boat and walk down the dock to where this little wooden shack is sitting there. And we walk up, and it's got like Captain Bly. Mate, you can't take the boat. <laughs> what do you mean we can't take the boat? We reserved it. We passed all the qualifications for it. We're going. He says, you see that little red flag flagging in the wind there? And as we looked up on a pole, and there's this tattered old red triangular flag that meant small craft warnings. And we were just disappointed. We hung our heads. We had packed for Friday through Sunday for our short, small adventure. One of the fellows in the group says, hey, I've got a Cessna 206 airplane at Fullerton Airport. We'll go up to Lake Tahoe to go skiing uh, and, and take off. And I thought, God, that's great. So we went and pulled the newspaper out because there weren't any cell phones. There was no weather apps. You looked at a satellite picture, got printed once a day in a newspaper to find out what the weather was. And we noticed that the small craft warnings were from a storm coming from the north. And huddled around the paper, I look at Frank and I said, Frank, isn't Tahoe north? He goes, yeah, but look how clear Mexico is. <laughs> and we jumped in at 206. There were four of us. We all t took turns at the yoke flying. And we dirt-stripped hopped all the way through Baja. Oh, man. That, in many cases, a three-day trip is not a, lo a long or huge adventure. But for me, those three days were a life-changing adventure because it awakened in me a spirit and a passion for flying. So when we look at adventures, I don't think we can quantify them 
based on the distance traveled or the amount of time that the adventure is. To say, okay, I'm only going to spend a day to go do something, it might be one of your best adventures. Right. Exactly. You know, and it it's interesting, when I was a freshman in college, just got moved, uh, went to Northern Arizona University in Flagstaff. What was first prize? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Arizona. <laughs> and uh, we, there was a group of guys, we decided we're going to go climb Mount Eldon, which overlooks the city of Flagstaff. And it, it's a beautiful little mountain there. And, and we said, well, let's go climb because at the very top is a lookout tower with a... Um, Forest Service lookout tower for forest fires and so forth. I said, well, okay, let's go. And, and one of the guys, Mark, said, oh, I, I think I know how to get up there. So we went and we parked this one place. And he said, I think we just go right up here. And we started climbing up this mountain. And we ran into wild rose bushes getting clawed up. We ran into cliffs and rocks we had to claw. By the time, and we didn't even have any water with us, I don't think. Bottled water wasn't invented then. And by the time we got to the top of that, we were exhausted. And there was a family of about four or five with smaller kids. We're going, how'd you get up here? And they said, well, we took the trail. <laughs> There's a trail up here. <laughs> and uh, you know, on the way down, it took less than 45 minutes to get down. But sometimes, like you were saying, sometimes when you have you know, even a day adventure, it may help to plan out just a little bit before you embark on your adventure. Well, one of the other things is in Southern California, I would have a Harley Davidson and ride out to different airports that were having air shows. Mm -hmm. It was a crisp January morning, and I rode my bike out to Cable Airport in Pomona. It was about a 45-minute trip, and it sits at the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains. The week before, there had been a tremendous snowstorm in the mountains. There, it was clear. The weather was beautiful. And I said, okay, well, this is going to be a typical air show. It wasn't a very big field. And I walked through some of the exhibits. But looked down the flight line, and something just caught my eye. It said, Ford Trimotor Ride, 65 bucks. I said, Wow. A Ford Trimotor, that's the first commercial airline that there was in the United States. So I walked up to the table and said, uh, is that true, 65 bucks? He says, yeah. I says, well, how much to sit in the right seat next to the pilot and fly it? He goes, well, no one ever asked that before. <laughs> how about 90 bucks? He says, you're on. <laughs> he says, be back here at 1.30. 1.30, they load nine passengers in it. I walk up to the front of the plane, sit next to the pilot. We taxi out. We get in the air. He says, you ever been in a small plane before? I said, yeah, I've got a commercial single engine license. It's your plane. And for the next 15 minutes, I got to fly a piece of history. That's amazing. It was like a Norman Rockwell painting along the snow-covered mountains with this historical aircraft. It was fantastic. And that adventure came out of a 45-minute Harley-Davidson ride to go to an air show that I've been to millions of before. Mm -hmm. So we can plan like you did for your Heidelberg trip. You went through and planned a lot because that was going to be your first major trip. But sometimes our adventures, we don't choose because we're, we're on a path, but we know what our passion is right. of going forward with that. 
You know, and sometimes when you look at some of the smaller adventures that we have, and, and I look at a journey that I have with my grandson, you know, and, and I look at that journey as, as developing a relationship with him and helping him explore and, and doing some special things with grandpa. And, you know, we'll go to the park and uh, we'll do things, you know, let him, you know, play on the playground and uh, we'll teach him how to skip rocks and how to, you know, you know, hop on rocks and down in the creek beds and doing all those types of things and playing soccer. And, and there was one time he, he said, Grandpa, I want to go climb those rocks. And I said, OK, but we got to test out some things first. And so we got down in the bottom of this, this creek bed. I said, let's go over here where it's, it was just a, a gravelly bank going up. And I said, okay, let's see if you can crawl up there. And he crawled up. I said, now come down. And he turned around and started to come down back first. I said, no, 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 it's belly to the rocks, you know, belly to the bank. And, and so, because he started slipping and sliding and I caught him. And I said, now turn around and come down. And he did that. We did that a couple of times where, he, you know, and I kept saying the important thing, if you're going to climb rocks is, is belly, belly to the rocks. And he did that a couple of times, and we took him over where they had a bunch of, you know, larger boulders cemented in the side. And he climbed up them, and I said, now come down. And remember, belly to the rocks. And he came down, and then he climbed up again, and he was dancing on top of the rocks and just having such a great time. And, Grandpa, I can't believe I learned how to climb rocks in one day. And it was like, you know what? It's not just, you know, the climbing the rocks. You know, all the hours of playing on the playground and utilizing your skills, climbing up and down the, you know, being the jungle gyms and everything. That gave you the muscle tone and and the coordination and everything to be able to do that. And then you apply your resources towards something like climbing rocks. And we forget that as we get older. When we look at adventures, well, I could never do that. But you may have a background and some resources that you have that are applicable if you turn them into another adventure from going from a playground to actually climbing real rocks. It's applicable. Well, Chuck, one of the things that we encourage on the show is that when people listen, that they have a pen and a paper in front of them and write things down. One of the takeaways of this show that I never knew is belly to the bank. <laughs> and that's an important thing when you're going to go climb to keep your belly to the bank. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, we're talking about choosing your adventure. For those adventures that you plan out that are going to be milestones in your life, uh, what's the definition of an adventure? Well, you know, if, if you take a look at, at a definition of adventure, if you look up Wikipedia or in the dictionary, you know, adventure is an exciting or a very unusual experience. And, and that, that's pretty broad in, in a way. And I, and I think where you can start to narrow that down is, is, you know, an exciting or very unusual experience that has meaning for you gives it a little bit more definition. And, and many of us in our, in our generation have achieved success in the material sense. You know, we've got our house, you know, we've had our vehicles, we've sent our kids to school and all those. And now we're blessed with the opportunity to design a second act in our lives. Well, that's one of the, the great things about this. The adventures of unstructured time is that we get to choose, in many cases, what we do. One of the biggest phrases I hear from uh, friends of the community that say they're, quote, retired, said, oh, man, I don't know when I had time for a job. But many of the times, what they have done is filled that time with activity. Right. A busyness. And they haven't really filled it with a transition to designing what the second half of their life is going to be. For those of those the listeners that do not have a pen and paper in front of them, uh, Chuck, how can they get hold of you 
And where can they go as a resource for some of the things that you're talking about on this show? Well, one of the, the great way to get a hold of me is go to the website, adventurejerky.com. And we actually have a shop online where you can pick up a leather-bound journal to start writing down your, your dreams and your goals and picking your adventures. And science has actually showed that there's magic that happens when you start to write things down. And it's the physical act of writing things down. Your brain remembers that better. It, it cements it into your brain real well. So we provide leather-bound journals with a pen. <laughs> we help you get started <laughs> big time on that. But we also have resources like the book, you know, Adventure Jerky, How to Be Your Best on Your Next Journey. And we even have a guidebook that goes with that, you know, how to make your best, your next journey your best journey. And the guidebook follows the book, but it has step-by-step -step exercises and instructions for you. And that way, you, when you start writing, you know, at that point and going through the exercises, you've got it all held together in one spot, which is good. So, Well, what's kind of neat about the book and the workbook together is that, I sit at my desk. I'm good for, I've got ADD, I think. I'm good for about eight minutes. <laughs> and then I start thinking about other things I have to do. Where those, those two together actually guide you step by step on how to do the things that we're, we're going to be talking about on the show for hopefully forever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but how to uh, find your passion, how to choose your adventure, and how to then ignite the action and activity that's going to get you to a much better uh, third quarter of your life. Right. And, and I think in a couple of other underlying factors that we talk about once we, once we cover those is, you know, how do you, how do you understand default behaviors? What are the default behaviors we have that keep us from reaching our goals? And then how do you create new habits? Because if you don't attack those two, it's things don't get done. You know, goals don't get accomplished. And understanding that portion of how the brain works is, is pretty key on, on making it all happen. Well, I've got a question for you. Because we have talked about success to significance. But Chuck, tell me about the success component in planning for your future. It, it's just not financial success. But most of us have gone through a career where we've accomplished certain things. We've built certain skills and talents. Because there's two elements that people bring to new situation. One is their talent and the other is their treasure. Right. Some people have been lucky enough to have both. But in most cases, it's one or the other Right. when they go forward. So uh, tell us what, what it is about success. Well, it's, you know, it, it's interesting when we take a look at, you know, this, this next road that we have to, to go on. You know, if, if you feel there's more success to be had on that road, then you can accomplish that. There's plenty of opportunity for, for you to travel down that road and do that. You can study to earn a degree. You know, it's like, you know, I always wanted to get a degree in, in this, this subject or that subject. You have that opportunity now. You have an opportunity to get an advanced degree or, or a new one. You know, you can start a new business. You can take up a new hobby that will lead to a new career. You know, and it could be your second or your third career. There's time for that. Well, one of the things that kind of my hair goes up on the back of my neck is I run into people say, well, you know, I'm 60 years old. I don't have time to do this or I'm too old to learn something. I'm trying to do this. And I don't know, we just started a brand new radio station and you are listening at 21.6 The Net. We started a brand new radio station that's in 29 different countries right now. We started that this year. 
and I'm 68 years old. Right. I'm on the front end of that next adventure. There are people that I know that are 80 years old that started new businesses because the age component was in their mind, not a physical calendar look. And those are one of the things that I look at. When we talk about adventure, I just saw where a girl in Portugal rode a 68-foot wave. It's a world record for a female riding a surf wave. And the thing that's interesting is she crashed very severely at that same point on that beach about three or four years ago. Wow. Now, there's a a person that had a goal of riding a 68-foot wave. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't know that I'd go through that on an ocean liner or a, or a destroyer myself. I, I get out of the bathtub before the little whirl goes around the drain <laughs> <laughs> in that regard. But, you know, and, but people have, you know, that, I think that's an extreme, you know, goal that they have, an adventure that they have. But it, it shows you that it's still available. And, you know, whether you want to achieve personal success in athletics or business, the arts or marriage, it's never too late. I mean, that's your road to choose. It's, it's, it's there. You're the only one typically holding yourself back. And we hold ourselves back because of the fear component that you talked about. Right, that fear that of the unknown. That we're afraid that it might not work out. Right. We're afraid it might fail. Man, if there's a time in your life to try new things and not have it work out, it's now. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and, and as you know, it's two guys here sitting here talking about adventures of unstructured time. But I'll tell you, the women that are in my community and in my lives that have reached this point in time, they're just they're becoming just as active, if not more so. If not more so, they're starting to to teach Bible studies. They're starting to work in garden societies, but they're adding back to the community when they don't have the captivity of a full-time job. Right, it, which many times can include a full-time family. You know, they, they get some freedom and some resource. And you see, uh, you'll see when they're starting up uh, food trucks. You know, they'll start up a restaurant, a bakery, a food truck. I mean, it's just, there's a lots of things that they embark on, which is just exciting to see. You know, and, and there's another aspect of it also, you know, we've been talking about success and, and different careers and so forth. But if you if you feel like you've been successful and you've achieved the success that you want in that regard, then we took, you know, we've talked a couple of shows ago, we talked about significance. You know, how you turn where the success portion is focused on you, what's in it for you and what you do to achieve success. But then when we talk about significance, there's a, there's a, uh, significance that you're after that are many ways to make your mark when you shift your focus from yourself and acquiring to the other to others and giving and it starts with def- defining your purpose and it necessitates shifting your attention to others and sometimes early in our career we get running so fast so hard we try and keep our head above water by focusing on ourselves and now with unstructured time we have an ability to focus on others and start to see what's available there. Our, our outward focus is on others, but one of the key elements of focusing on yourself is to not put a label on yourself. If you were an engineer in a company, people say, well, I'm an engineer, what am I going to do? The fact is, you have built an entire portfolio of skills, 
And those skills will take you forward to the next thing. I have a friend, Dave, retired from an electronics company, got involved with a model train uh, group of guys that would teach children about model trains and how to build sets and to keep them active. Dave knew that dealing with servos and aircraft, dealing with the different systems aircraft, that he went to the model railroad club that he had an interest in and showed them how they could automate these entire displays that made them even grander and got the kids involved with learning about electronics and being significant with what he had to bring to the table as opposed to just teaching them about trains. Right. And the experience that he brought to that could never be matched by anyone else. Because he now decided, okay, I'm not an aircraft engineer. I understand the principles of engineering that can help the next generation get to where they need to be. Right. And I think that's so true for both men and women. The ability to become mentors and become coaches for the next generation. I mean, there's a vital need for that. And there's some great opportunities to make that happen. But, you know, when we take a look at doing all of these things that we're talking about a lot, it takes a lot of energy. And it takes a lot of you know, physical energy and mental energy. And one of the things we talk about, and I like to talk about, is you know, we need fuel to make all this happen. You know, we need fuel for the body to enable us to go on our adventures and, you know, and how we treat our body. You know, I, I always said, I think I had a track coach <laughs> back in high school when I was pole vaulting him. And he said, you know, our, our, our body is a temple. And yet you guys go out and treat it like a bowling alley. <laughs> Drink a beer, smoking cigarettes. Well, mine's more like a cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and sometimes we take a look. We, we have these, these big goals, these, these you know, goals for some, some really nice journeys and some adventures and, and sharing with others. But we need, the, we need the proper fuel. And we need the proper fuel for our body. But we also need the proper fuel for our mind to enable us to figure out our next journey and the adventures and, more importantly, how to stay on track. You know, whether it's fuel for the body, the mind, let's, let's just face it, Ron, you know, at, at some point in our life, we will get stuck and we get stuck, you know. Well, what are some of the things we need in our lives to get unstuck? Well, when you take a look at when, when you're stuck and we've all, we've all been at that place, you need motivation and, and sometimes self-motivation more than, uh, and, and that's tough to come up with self-motivation. You know, we need inspiration, we need advice, we need incentive. You know, we need direction to keep us moving forward. You know, Ron, you've written a book, you know what type of adventure that is. How'd you stay motivated, inspired, and on track to get it published? I had to think beyond writing the book. What the purpose of writing the book was. What I would do is when I was out speaking, you and I met through the National Speakers Association. When I would go out and speak, I would take parts of the chapters that I wrote and incorporate it that into my speech to see if it was actually having an impact on people. And when I found that it was the stories were sticking, people coming up later said, you know, because of the presentation that was given, I now am mentoring a kid when I tell the story about Daniel. Mm -hmm. So, and going through that, it gave me motivation to say, I had to take an action to get feedback. I incorporated the feedback into the book. And that's what made it worth getting up at four in the morning because 
we're creative at different times of the day. Exactly. We all have different rhythms of our body. I'm the most creative between 4 a.m. and probably 9 a.m. I keep going for the next 24 hours. <laughs> but I know that that's my creative quiet time because I'm not being interrupted. I, I'm easily distracted by things that become urgent. Every day I would get up and say, hey, this is a story for my life that should be in that book because it meets the theme of the book. I did not plan that. Mm -hmm. It gives hope and encouragement to people that might be going through similar situations. The motivation was seeing what the end result was from someone picking the book up, reading it at a time that they may have lost hope and seeing them now start to move on again. The motivation was the purpose that would come out of the book, not writing the book. Right. When the purpose is just writing the book, I have people that come in through my life and get together. What they do, they've been working on a book for 20 years. They never envisioned the, the finish line. Right. No, that's an excellent point. You know, and, and one of the things that you touched on, you know, the worst thing you can do is think you don't need help and that you already know everything because we know what happens when, when you get to that point. As soon as you get to that point, something will come up that will show you a different scenario and you'll need resources to see you through. And there's people who have been through that. Just because you're on the adventure doesn't mean someone else hasn't gone on that adventure before. Well, one, they've gone on that adventure... One, be open to new talents that can make you better. Exactly. Because part of being on the adventure is not saying, okay, well, I was successful and I'm not going to be relevant for the rest of my life. I'm just going to repeat everything that I knew and I'm the expert in. Right. And the fun part of the trip was going to the writing club, mm -hmm. finding new techniques, new ways to present. The other thing that kept me motivated is I partnered up with a fellow. Right. who was writing a book also. And we would meet once a week and say, what did you write this week? There was an accountability to it. And we would swap what we'd written and then we would help each other with how it was represented, how it was received, and changes that we could make. And we improved each other's style in writing by getting together. To me, that was exciting. Exactly. And because of that process of that adventure... So many other adventures have opened up for me in writing for a newspaper, for a new magazine that's coming up. I got to tell you, I'd never completely written uh, read a book from cover to finish <laughs> and probably about six years ago. I had no interest in it. But by putting myself out there, saying I'm going to try something that someone has told me wouldn't help others, it's changed my entire life right. of what I do. And it's interesting how, you know, we talk about one of the biggest fears that we have is the fear of the unknown. By doing that, you overcame that fear of the unknown, even though you'd never written a book before, but understanding here's my purpose on writing this and why, then you got the motivation and the inspiration to make that happen. But we talked about, and you talked about Charles Garfield, about visualizing the end. I could visualize and what it was going to look like from the beginning. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, you know, and when you can clearly see where you want to go, you can create a picture that can be repeated in your mind over and over. And that kind of smooths that amygdala, you know, that part of the brain that's always going, warning, warning, you know, you know, there's something going to happen, you know, because I remember well, my. Talk, yeah. Yeah. Tell because you and I talked about your trip to Europe. You talked about it earlier in the show. You had difficulty in the beginning of that trip why why was did you have that difficulty it was the fear of the unknown you know it's like not knowing what to expect when i landed in germany yeah you know but, how, how but do you you I, didn't visualize it is what you shared exactly also, right you, you know, had no idea of what the trip could have been and what actions you could take to make sure that happened right you went there and and don't take this wrong but almost like a victim status. What's going to happen to me? Right. Well, I get as through customs. <laughs> yeah. Or as opposed to, here's what I'm going to make it. And that's right. a big difference between going with an adventure attitude and going with, uh, oh my gosh, I need to do this attitude. Right. And once I had that first trip under my belt, so to speak, then I could visualize what that was like to go, to go through all phases of the trip. And then from there, it was, you know, turning around and going across the other direction, going west across the Pacific. I wasn't concerned about going across the Pacific because I realized I'm going to be able to figure out my way around. I'll make it happen. And you just, you keep going. And, you know, wound up going over 40 different countries. Yeah. You know, that and same if, if they missed going to the east, they'd ended up, you know, over in Heidelberg where you were familiar with it anyway. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, if you can create that picture in your mind and where you can go, you know, over and over again, you know, and then you get to a point where you write it down and it provides a roadmap for you. Well, let me talk about writing it down. Because uh, there's two schools of thought. There's the old school like mine that takes out a pen, hope it didn't leak in my pocket, <laughs> get a journal and physically write it down. And there are people carrying tablets, computers, Google Docs, Trello, all of the different applications, notes that they can just sit there and fire it into a computer and it's done with it. Right. Tell me the, the reason, the, the differences between those two. Well, and it's interesting because I'm getting ready to blog about that also. But when you start to write it down, your brain makes a connection with the kinetic energy applied to physically writing it down. And so you retain that longer. And the, what the research is pretty phenomenal on the retention difference between writing it down notes compared to typing notes in. And there's more connection with writing it down. That's why in, in my store... I sell the leather-bound journals with a pen. I don't sell, you know, electronic notebooks or iPads <laughs> and stuff because there is a true connection that, that happens when you do that. And then if you, when you write it down, you've got that connection, it removes the fear of the unknown. It starts to provide you with, with the roadmap. And, you know, and it takes tough courage. You know, when, you, when you're writing it down, sometimes when you're typing, you can just kind of blow through some things and say, okay, done but when you're writing it down, it takes a little while to get it written down. And, and then you start asking those tough questions about your decisions. But those tough questions start to chip away at that fear. And you spend a little bit more time going, why am I afraid of this? What's going on here? And then when difficult situations arise, you can stay calm. 
because you know where you're going and you can make the proper decisions to attain the end result that you want. And that's part of that visualization. If you can visualize your end result, then the decision-making gets a lot easier. But if you don't know where you're headed, then, you know, as you well know, you don't know if you're making a good decision or a bad decision. It's like when we were climbing up the mountain without a truck, we didn't know if it was better to go around the rocks or go straight up through the rocks. We, <laughs> we didn't really know. And so fear starts to creep into your decision-making process. And so, you know, if you take the time to truly understand where you want to head and why it's important to you, it gets to be a lot easier to make that happen. I don't know about you, but I can visualize pages I have written in, in journals and books that I might have written three, four, five years ago. It's easy for I can't tell you what's been on my computer screen because there's no differentiation in the screen. Now, but I didn't grow up with the electronic tools that we have today. Right. And that makes a big difference in how you approach that process, I imagine. Exactly. That, that's a good point. You know, and... And, and I think, I think when, when we, you know, we get comfortable with the decisions we make, then fear will not be a deciding factor in how you make decisions. And think about it. If you can make decisions without worrying about fear, how powerful that is. But Lon, let, let, me, let me bring it back around here for a thing. Because we, we talk about the toughest part of starting a journey being picking your adventure. Okay, we, we identify with our passion and having things mapped out for us. You know, our activities get aligned, our tasks are coordinated. Everything's like, man, we're off on a great journey. This is going to be fun. And guess what? Somewhere along the line, we will get a lemon lobbed into our laps. You know, how do we turn that lemon into lemonade? One of the things is... <clears throat> When I've been on journeys that have been both very pleasurable and some of the worst of my life, let me take you back to the point in time that we lost our son. It was that night at the table. I kept asking the question, why? Why me? Why our family? Why did this happen? And it was interesting because I got an answer that night. I don't know where it came from. I, I have my own beliefs of where it came from, but it, the, the answer was, why not you, Ron? I've prepared you for this. I've given you all the perseverance that you need to get through this. I've given you an army of people that are in your house around here for support. I mean, at the time, I just left being a mayor of a community. There were hundreds and hundreds of people coming through our front door. But those people, he says, why not you? Because you have sat there and told people how to react to tough situations. They're here not only to try to comfort you and they don't know how to do it, but they're here to watch you as to whether or not you believe what you've been telling them for all this time. And once I changed that question as to why, why me to why not me, then it started to set a process of going forward. It, it's not a fast process, depending upon the major lemon that you get. Right. Okay. There's a differentiation in lemons. Right. But there's a process there that says, when you say, why not me now? I'm not unique. This has happened to others. And now I can go forward on fulfilling my purpose. And what's the plan out of this tragedy and uh 
uh, we had Tim Durkin on another show. And he said, I look at every situation from a standpoint or a competition says, we will either win or we will learn. Right. And when you take out the we will win or learn, it's all about why not me and how am I going to move forward as opposed to the why, why, why that defeats us. Right. You know, and it, it's interesting. We think of daring adventures and so forth. We, we think about Lewis and Clark, you know, and what they did going into the unknown, literally the unknown. And they would write at the end of each journal entry after they had encountered a difficult or difficulty or a setback that's onward, you know, <laughs> and, and sometimes that's what you have to do. And a lot of people stop when they hit the first obstacle, you know, and, and we always have to keep moving ourselves forward, which is key. Well, that, that brings me to the fact that Lewis and Clark said onward. Well, there wasn't a 911 telephone. <laughs> exactly. There was no rescue party. Or GPS. That was following, yeah, <laughs> nothing that was following them. They had no choice. Right. Are we the same way? No, we have resources all around us. We can go to the Google. <laughs> <laughs> my daughters used to hate that. And I said, well, I guess I'll have to go to the Google <laughs> get some information. But there are so many things, so many resources around us that we can tap into, that we can learn from, that any kind of lemon that gets topped in our lap. I mean, like you shared you know, from one extreme of you know, losing a child, um, you can find a way to, to rebound and continue moving forward and having a positive impact on things. And that, that's powerful. But... Part of the maturity of being on your adventure is to transition from the why is it happening to me to the why not me. And isn't it pretty much that that spirit that is in an adventure like Lewis and Clark that says we are going to go forward? Right. And, and that's where that definition of true maturity comes from. It's, hey, no one's coming to the rescue. If we don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. Then we take it from there. So let's take a look at, if we start to wrap some things down, let's, let's take a look at an example of, say, an adventure you want to start a new career that deals with your passion. You know, what are some of the goals from accomplishing a goal like this? Well, one of the things is, I looked at it, is it a meaningful, meaningful thing? Yep. To me, I know guys love golf and women love golf, and they go out and do that, but at the end of the day, the golf game's over. I look at work from a standpoint, it's not work, is will the energy that I expend in my passion have a lot longer lasting effect than the moment that I'm involved? Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, will it build stronger relationships? Going from one environment in uh, California, moving to Greenville, because of the adventures I've gone on, I've built an entire network and a network has surrounded me, which is great that there are resources and people that I rely on. I count on that step forward when they see a need. That's an important part of it. How about you, Chuck? What, what do you look at when you're following your passion? I mean, this, this venture of a adventure jerky, yeah is a real passion for you because I get texts and calls all times of the <laughs> night. Well, you know, it, it, it's one where, you know, I think, you know, you, 
when you when you look at the benefit from accomplishing a specific goal for you and like what what I'm doing, you know, you wind up having healthier relationships. You know, you you wind up having increased confidence in where you're going. And I, I find that, you know, I'm I'm even happier with, with what I'm doing. You know, I'm more motivated on what I'm doing. I'm more productive. You know, and I actually, you know, I have peace of mind and creative. I'm sleeping really, really good now, which is which is a good thing. You know, and and you know, and what it, sometimes I think, Ron, the 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 key questions you have to ask yourself on setting up, what are the consequences of not creating a goal? Well, I think one of the consequences of not creating a goal is you're always thinking about, I haven't <laughs> accomplished the goal. Exactly. Or I did not attempt to accomplish the goal. And I cannot tell you how many people have regrets at the end of their life saying, you know, I wish I would have done that. I've never heard one person say, you know, I wish I spent more time at the office. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so well, you know, as, that's a part of it. You know, as we start to wrap it up, each each week we talk about uh, exercises for the coming week, and and I've got I was going to share some things on on setting goals on uh, an example, but I'm going to save that when we talk about default behaviors. And what I'd like to do is move forward to, you know, exercise for the coming week. And I can't say it enough. Magic starts to happen when you start to write things down. I mean, it is a scientific fact that the brain can't hold the emotions of fear and gratitude at the same time. So this week, what I'd like for people to do is start to write down a simple habit daily. Start to write down, what are you grateful for? And do this for a couple of days in a row and then start thinking what you would be grateful for if you actually went out and started achieving your new goals. And you will begin to clearly identify the goals that are most important to you and what it would mean if those goals were accomplished. And all of a sudden you're writing, you're planning, you're beginning to act on the goals you've created and you realize there's no fear looming over even getting started on your adventure. There truly is magic in writing it down. There is. And it's a habit that when you get into it helps open up all the other opportunities. But the other thing is, is not only to write it down, but to go out and start experiencing and trying new things and go getting on that adventure that's ahead of you. Exactly. Chuck, once more, people want to get a hold of you or get a, get a hold of the, the resources that you've discussed. Best way to do that. Adventurejerky.com. We even have a blog contest people can enter. Tell us your story. Share your stories with it. We got some great prizes for it. And also, don't forget about our great jerky. We got great chewable jerky. Okay. It won't pull your teeth out. It's good you know, gourmet chewable jerky. So, so. adventurejerky.com. And this is Ron Hostry with Chuck Inman on 21.6 in the net with the Adventures of, of Unstructured, Unstructured Time. Time. Go out and make it happen. Get up off of the couch. Go try something new. Just have fun today. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Hi, Ron Hostery here. There might have been a part of today's show that you missed, or there was a thought you'd like to ponder again. Well, now it's possible at 216thenet.com by clicking on the past show podcast and selecting the episode of The Adventures of Unstructured Time that you'd like to hear again. 
Join us live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Central Time as we continue the quest to find your passion, choose your adventure, and ignite the action that will make the next years of your life the best years of your life. The Net is brought to you in part by the generous support of our sponsor, Northern Illinois Windows, Inc. We are a commercial and residential window servicing company committed to providing the highest quality service at an affordable price. Our highly trained technicians will make every aspect of your window cleaning needs worry-free. Northern Illinois Windows, Inc. 815-385-6646. Again, 815-385-6646. 216net is sponsored and supported in part by Natural Therapy Wellness Center. 815-385-8190. McHenryMassage.com. How often do you take time for yourself? A massage can be a great way to pamper yourself, but it can also help alleviate or sometimes even cure those ailments that you deal with regularly. Contact us today to speak to one of our certified therapists about your needs. Natural Therapy Wellness Center, 815-385-8190. Twenty-one Six The Net is sponsored by and broadcast from Sticker Dude, the creators of Final Chaos. 815-322-2480, StickerDude.com. The Sticker Dude team brings over 25 years of experience from the graphic, marketing, and sales industry. Advertising on vehicles and other services, full attention on the design, print, and installation is given to your project. From in-house full-time installers to our top-of-the-line printing and finishing room. Contact us today to learn what you need to look for and why before committing to making an investment in vehicle wraps. We're not your corner sign shop. Sticker Dude, call 815-322-2480. Experience, education, character, an inherent ability with numbers, an exceptional CPA. These are the reasons why business owners choose Eric Mason of Mobile Accounting for their bookkeeping, payroll, and tax services. Call Eric at Mobile Accounting, 224-321-6859. That's 224-321-6859. 216 net is supported by highly reputable sponsors like XTech Repair. Why do customers keep coming back to XTech Repair? Because of owners committed to building relationships. No one and done attitudes. Their 60 day guarantee on all repairs 
and IT service subscription plans that help business customers avoid the shock of a large, unexpected repair bill. XTech addresses all your IT needs in one place web design, web hosting, social media support, custom built desktops with a two year parts and labor warranty, and just for fun, gaming machines with repair and service support. Visit online xtech.repair. That's x t e k dot r e p a i r. Visit in person at the corner of Pingree and 176 in Crystal Lake, Illinois, or call 815-516-8075. That's 815-516-8075. X-Tech Repair for IT done right the first time.